0: Well, if you've got your copy of Scripture, if you would get to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, you know we've been doing this series on generosity in the month of November. And uh, as we think about it, the last couple of weeks, um, two weeks ago, pastor spoke about the heart of generosity. He had that fun little science experiment uh, with Mentos and Diet Coke, and uh, but to really demonstrate that our lives should be overflowing with the generosity and the beauty of God's grace Grace that has been given to us, and it should just flow out of us because of that—that that heart of generosity. And then, of course, last week uh, we spoke about the head of generosity, and really, I thought it was a great, a great point that we leaned into about what is our mentality: is it a scarcity mentality, or is it an abundance mentality? And uh, we talked about how we should be shoveling out God's generosity because he has shoveled it into our lives and he's got the bigger shovel. And so uh, we do not run out of that, that, that mentality of generosity because of all that we've been shown through Jesus Christ. Well, today uh, we come to our text and we're going to be looking at really the hands of generosity. So before I go any further, I'd like for us to read the text together. So if you wouldn't mind standing one more time, uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, I'm in chapter 8. I'm going to read 16 through 24 together. It says this, But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you, For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches, for he is preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. Verse 23, as for Titus He is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. May the Lord bless the reading of his words. You may be seated. Well, as we just read in this text today, we're going to see really the demonstration of the hands of generosity by Titus and his two brothers in Christ who are really the party, the group that are traveling to the church of Corinth to collect up this special offering that's being collected. We're going to see in this text really what God's calling us to, and we're, we're going to look really at the characteristics of these three guys who are sent out by the local church. And I, and I couldn't help but think about this. As Pastor talked about this series, he said, this series is not about getting the money out of our pockets, but the idols out of our heart. Well, I would say in that same vein today, I pray that this text will get the idleness or the inactivity out of our hearts. I pray that as we see this text, we'll see that God is calling us to jump into what He's doing. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 9 8? We looked at it last week together, where He said, God is able to make all grace abound to you in all sufficiency at all things, at all times, so that we may abound in good works. You see, a heart that is overflowing with generosity can't help but be the hands that are in activity to flesh that out. I believe we're going to see that in Titus and the two brothers that go with him this morning. So as we look at this, you might go, well, how do we get, business, how do we get down to business of doing this good work? Glad you asked. Because as we look at Titus, we're going to see this. I want you to hear this sermon in the sentence. If you can put it all together, today, if you totally just, just kind of zone out on me, I want you to catch this. God wants his people to embody his generosity with open hands, driven by a God-given desire to serve. These hands carry the weight of those who are lost, yet they are raised high to honor him in spirit-led teamwork, bringing glory to God and spreading his love to the world. Let's dive into the text and let's unpack that together when we begin to look at Titus and his team and their generous hands. The first thing I want you to see is they had generous hands driven by a God-given desire to serve. Look at verse 16. As we see here in the text, it says this, that God put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. That's what Paul says about Titus. Now, real quick, who is Titus? He has a book of the Bible named after him over in the New Testament, but who is this guy that we're going to be talking about who's really the only named person of this team that's going? Well, a couple quick things. If you look over in the book of Galatians, we find out that Titus was a Gentile. Like he was a literal walking example that the gospel was for everyone. He was not a Jew and he was a Gentile. As a matter of fact, Paul has to defend Titus because the Judaizers who were trying to put um, the believers back under the law, they they wanted Paul to take Titus and get him circumcised. And he said, no, we're not doing that. We're not under the law. And so Titus was a Gentile, and we see this in Titus 1.4. We find out who led Titus to Christ. Paul says this, he says, my true child in the common faith. So he is someone that Paul had led to Christ. Something else interesting we pick up in the book of Titus is that Paul gave him some pretty heavy responsibilities in the early church. Many believe he was at the Jerusalem Council. He was there on on several of the mission trips. But one of the things that we pick up here in the book of Titus is that... Paul sent him to Crete and Titus had the responsibility of going around to all the churches and appointing the elders of the church. That's a pretty big responsibility. Titus was a trustworthy guy. He was a guy that was all in. He was bought into the vision of what God was doing. He was a trustworthy coworker and partner in the gospel to Paul. It's what he said right here as we read it just a minute ago. But I want to pick up something, this phrase that says that God put it in the heart of Titus. Let's just soak on that for a minute. You ever been there before where God placed something on your heart and it was, you knew it was God telling you, hey, you need to be about this. This is what is for you. Um, it's funny, in the missions department, um, Edison and I and Miss Tina, we get bombarded a lot by people that want us to be a part of things. And and we have this saying, a lot of things fall from heaven, but not all of them have our name on it. We've gotta find out what is it that God has for us. Well, we see this, that that this idea of enlistment that God had implanted, This desire for for Titus to be a part of it and, and to be in the care and the and serving the Corinthian church. This calling, this sense of enlistment lasted longer than an emotional moment. Okay, I was a youth pastor for a long time. gone to a lot of student camps. We used to call it student camp high, right? Um, Leaving camp, usually on the last night, was kind of cry night. And and all the kids wanted to give their lives to global missions and be pastors and all of this. And I remember in my heart, I used to always think, man, I'm glad they're listening, but really we'll see how long it lasts. Because if it's a God-given heart desire, you can't run from it. And when you try to run from it, he meets you there. Go talk to Jonah, okay? Like you can't run from that, okay? And so, right here in the text, we see that God had given him this calling and this desire in his heart. Now, that term heart, Paul uses that nine times in 2 Corinthians. And really, when Scripture talks about the heart, there's a lot of things that are referred to here. Obviously, the heart, the physical heart, is kind of the center of your physical life. If your ticker goes bad, you're in trouble, okay? So it's kind of central. But it was central to the spiritual life. It was the thought life, the will, the emotions. It was the place referred to as the spiritual activity. The heart was a metaphorical Reference to really the entire person where your heart was that's who you were. Matter of fact, over in Matthew 22, scripture says that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know what? Titus was a living example of that, he was running the play. He knew what God had called him to do. He said, God, I'm all in, all right? This is what you, that's what we do as believers. We're gonna go minister to a church in Corinth. We're gonna help them out and get the money over to the church in Jerusalem. I'm all in, whatever it takes, I'm in. Let's talk about that really quick. Four ways to prepare your heart for hearing the leading of the Lord. Okay, I wanna just give you four quick things that as I process listening to the Lord, these are four things that I think are really important. Number one, have I surrendered to Jesus completely? Okay? It's hard to have a heart for the Lord if you don't know the Lord, right? First and foremost, do you realize the God of the universe loves you, created you to have a relationship with him, and he has plans and purposes for your life, and he says, hey, just come to me, broken, surrender, and I will give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. It starts with a life surrendered to Jesus completely. Matthew 6:33 says this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Listen to me, church. We obsess about all the other things and we forget the number one priority was to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm here to tell you this. Listen, you wanna know what God's will is for your life? Hey, read the book. It's in there. 99% of what we need to do as believers in Jesus Christ, it's in the book. Read the Bible. We obsess. We obsess over the 1% that's unique to us. Well, listen, I I want you to get this. Live obedient to the 99% and you'll have great clarity on how you fit into that picture. Stop obsessing over it and start living in obedience to God's word and watch him begin to bless. Second thing, number two, be faithful now. Okay. Number one is, hey, be fully surrendered. But number two is be faithful now. Luke Luke 16.10 says this, he who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Am I faithful to the things that I know God has already told me to do? Like, listen, if you're not living obedient, why is God going to keep giving you other things to be obedient to? You haven't got number one done, Right. And so we've got to start going, am I faithful in the little things that God has given me in my life? Am I walking out in obedience? Am I using how God has wired me with my gifts, my talents, and my abilities, the passions that he has given me? Am I using them now? You see, being a follower of Christ is not a spectator sport. Oh, it's much different watching a game than playing it. I think far too many people get bored with church because you're watching faith happen. You're not in the living water and you're not in the activity of living out the faith. Just coming to church is not the end, it's just the beginning. What I'm afraid of is there's many of you that are gifted, you have talents and you have abilities, but listen. If you're successful in the business world, but silent in the church, that's a problem. You were given the talents and the gifts and the abilities for the glory of God, for the advancement of his kingdom, not your kingdom and not your bank account, his kingdom and his glory. That's why he created us. We got to ask ourselves, Lord, where's my priorities? You know, we talk about the big three around here, man. We want people in worship. This is great. We're glad that you're here today. This isn't the end all be all. Man, we want you in community. We're built for relationships. But listen, you were created for good works. so walk in them. That's what scripture tells us. God has given you what he's given you. Are you being faithful with what he's given you? Before you put your hand up and want something more, ask yourself, trust me, the Holy Spirit will convict you. Get real with that. Am I faithful? what I have. Number three, am I positioning myself for godliness? Remember what that great reminder in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Hey, listen to me, like, I feel like one of my spiritual giftings is pushing people out of their comfort zones. Like, I think it's biblical. Scripture says that we're to stir up one another to love and good works. There's no doubt today, I want to stir the pot. I don't want you to be comfortable and convenient. I want you to be obedient to what God has you to do. And scripture right here says that we're to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near, encouraging. Man, I don't want you, but I love being around other believers in Christ who are fired up for Jesus. You know what? It makes me wanna be fired up. I met with a young guy this week who God's been doing some great things in his life. And he said, Kevin, the one thing I'm realizing is the dudes I used to roll with, I can't roll with anymore because they pull me to the world. I'm having to create new groups and new friends because I need people that are gonna speak truth into my life. Church, are we positioning ourselves to be used by God? And here's the last thing. And you wanna let God stir your heart for something? Put your yes on the table. Here's the deal. Isaiah 6, 8. As God is calling out the prophet Isaiah, he's realizing how broken he is. But here's what Jesus, here's what God says in in Isaiah 6, 8. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. You see, Isaiah knew. The best answer you can ever give to King Jesus is yes. Even when you don't know the ramifications of where that yes is going to wind you up, you can trust Jesus. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you too entangled in this world to put your yes on the table? And many times, listen, we don't hear the voice of God because we haven't left the margin in our life to slow down long enough to listen to him. I'm gonna be honest with you. In 2015, I was a youth pastor here and I was sitting about right over here. We were having our missions conference that year and the theme was No Boundaries. Man, life was good. I really enjoyed being your student pastor. We had a bunch of kids here. We were taking them around the world. But I didn't realize that missions conference, God had a word for me. Gordon Ford's up here preaching. And I remember him saying, You put your yes on the table unconditionally, and God convicted my heart. And I realized, man, when I surrendered the call as a freshman in high school, I just went, God, I want to be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. You know what I was telling God? God, I'll serve you, but on my terms and my conditions. You know what? In 2015, God took me to the woodshed and said, hey, if you put your yes on the table, then hey, I get to use you however I wish. And it's not about what your preference is, it's what I know I need you to do. And right sitting right over there, I said, God, no boundaries. Whatever you want to do with my life, my yes is on the table. What conditions? What boundaries are you putting on the calling of God and what God wants to put in your heart to do? Oh, church, may we say yes. Look at the end of verse 16. Paul says, he has the same earnest care as I do. Man, that's, that's shared vision. Titus had owned the vision of this idea of, of generous living. And Titus was gonna go and he was gonna engage in this mission because he had caught the vision. Listen, church, we've come together together united under a vision as a church. Our heart desires to be a church that glorifies God, but to be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multiplying church that raises up the next generation, which we saw some up here today, to be disciple makers, church planners, world changers, missionaries to reach Naples, the Cape, to the nations. You coming here, that's what we're all about. When you walk on this campus, that's what we wanna be all about. We don't wanna be, be a church with a, with a catchy saying. You know, they say this, that, that mission and vision statements hang on the wall, right? But culture is walks up and down the halls. It's one thing to have great statements, but what are we walking out with our lives as a church? You see, we wanna be a church that's raising up disciple-makers to make disciples of all nations. We pray that this gospel that has changed us will go viral to the world. That's what it's all about. Timothy, Titus had caught the vision from Paul. He had caught that, and that's why he was willing to go. Verse 17, it says this, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. He accepted the the appeal. Hey, he had a tenderness in his heart to what was going on, and he said, "I'm in." He it says this that himself was very earnest about it. There was an eager and a diligence. Nobody had to light his fires. Like he understood the vision of what they were trying to do, and he wanted to be used by God to minister to people. It says this that he was going to you of his own accord. Paul's saying, "Hey, we didn't draft him; God did." And when God calls you to do something, nobody's going to light your tires and kick your fires to be obedient to it. He had skin in the game, and he was willing to forsake comfort and convenience to pursue passionately the call and the mission that God had for him. So here's the second thing I want you to see. We learned a little bit about Titus, but now we got a brother coming in the mix here. Verse 18. I want you to see that because it's the second thing we can learn about this team, that they had generous hands burdened for lost souls. Look what scripture says in verse 18. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for preaching the gospel. All right, this brother had a reputation. Now, what I love about scripture is it doesn't name drop right here. Now, if you read commentators, like everybody's speculating who this is. Is it Apollos? Is it Luke? Who is this other brother that's about to go with Titus? And what I love is, hey, It didn't talk about the brother, but it talked about what he was known for. Just pause for a minute. What if you were the brother in this passage? What would be the end of this verse about your life? What are you known for? This brother was known. It says he was famous for preaching the gospel. Like, what's your tagline? What are you known for to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? Like, what is it that you're all about? Is there anything better than being known for a brother who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think that's what we should be about. Right here in Scripture, we see this. We see that, hey, it's a reminder to us. The greatest problem in the world is lostness. People who do not know Jesus Christ. In Naples, in the Cape, people need Jesus around the world. Do you know right now during this hour of worship, and we get a little bonus time at the end, right? But in this relative hour that over 7,227 people will step into a Christless eternity, die without knowing Christ. Church, there's got to be a sense of urgency in our heart. The gospel matters. There are people dying and going to hell without knowing Jesus Christ. What are we going to do about it? Can't help but think about a burden for lost souls. I remember as we were starting to do some pulpit supply up there at First Baptist Cape Coral, when you go across the South Bridge, this is the Cape Coral Bridge. I remember going up this bridge, and um, and and honestly, it's a giant neighborhood over there. So like in the morning, everybody's coming off. In the evening, everybody's going back on. Right. Uh, but I remember coming over that bridge, and I just saw the whole cape. It's a giant neighborhood. There's homes everywhere. As you remember, all of a sudden, just being impressed on the harvest that Scripture talks about in Luke ten two, Jesus said, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest." Hey, we serve ascending sending God, and you understand. You might be the answer to the prayer of a remnant of saints who have been calling out for God to not allow their church doors to shut. In John four, it's the woman at the well passage, right? Jesus is ministering the woman of the well. She realizes he's the Christ. She runs back into town, the disciples come out, they're trying to feed Jesus food, and he's like, dude, my food, what fuels me is to do God's will, do God's work. But then he says this in verse 35. He looks at the disciples who were worried about food And he says, boys, get your eyes up. The fields are white with harvest. Here it comes. Because people were coming out of the village, out of the city, to find out about this Jesus the woman was telling them all about. But I think it's interesting, because at the end of that, in verse 38, he says this to the disciples, I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." You know, As I did a little little work on the history of First Baptist Cape Coral, I found out a couple of things. They began of a missions church sponsored by First Baptist Church of Fort Myers on May 17th, 1963. 17 people met on the Cape to begin a gospel outpost to reach about 1,500 people that lived on the Cape at the time. Now there's over 200,000 people and it's on that that we rebuild on that foundation of 17 faithful people who said the gospel needs to be on this cape. It's a gospel legacy that we build on the labor and the sacrifice of people that have come before. You know, I often think about why do I, don't, why do I not share the gospel? Well, what hinders me in these moments? I think a lot of times we're, we're afraid of what people might think, that we're like crazy or some Jesus freak. I I gotta be honest with you, I think one that Satan's got most of us tongue-tied with is we're too busy and distracted, and we don't make it a priority. We don't live with the the thought of 7,000 people every hour are dying around the planet without knowing Jesus Christ. That should bother us, church. Like, we got the greatest news. Why are we sitting and snoozing on it? It's awake. We gotta wake up and realize we have to have gospel urgency in our life. I think sometimes we don't share because we're afraid we don't have all the answers. Nobody does except for Jesus, and that's the guy you're pointing to, okay? He's got the answers. We don't have them all. But I think oftentimes we don't believe in the realities of heaven and hell. Or maybe we're ashamed of our past. We go, man, I can't witness to my family, my friends. Like, they know who I used to be. Listen. God uses broken people. The greatest the greatest testimony that God is real is how he is changing your life. I hope you're not like who you used to be. All of us should be different because a man named Jesus that we met. Every day we should be growing in our walk with Christ. Why do we allow the devil to help us give all the excuses we need to remain silent from what God has called us to do? Listen to this. Seven out of 10 unchurched people have never been invited to church, 70%. According to Tom Rayner in his book, The Unchurched Next Story, he says 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if you invite. He goes on to say only 2% of church members invite the unchurched person to church, while 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. And y'all, we don't have excuse. Like you literally walk out that door, you walk out that door. We have those cool little invite cards that like we got for about everything around here. We try to make it easy for you. Like, who are we talking to? I was talking to a car salesman yesterday. I mean, I was trying to pivot that conversation. Like, listen, that's why we are here. And we've got to go, am I being obedient? I think we've got to guard against mission drift. I think Satan loves to lull us to sleep thinking we're Okay. He loves to see us get busy, but man, we gotta remember what the task of the moment is. What is the task at hand? And that's to spread the mission of the gospel. The goal of our faith is not to be good people. We've been given a mission to take this good news to a world so desperately who needs it. I love that the second brother in this story, he's just known for his gospel passion. Man, may we be a church that's known for gospel passion. And you know how a church comes known as gospel passion? It's full of people that have gospel passion. It's not just Alan. You know Alan has passion. Good grief, like it oozes out of him, right? But listen, Alan is not us. We are the church, like all of us together. We gotta have that gospel passion. Here's the third thing. Titus's team had generous hands working together for the glory of God. Look at Verse 19. It says this, and not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. Okay, let's, let's look at a couple of phrases there. Appointed by the churches. Hey, do you understand something? Mission boards do not send missionaries. Churches do. You understand that? like Missionaries and people are sent out of local churches. It's not just the International Mission Board or North American Mission Board's job. No, it's the local church. God calls people out of his local assemblies to go on mission. That's what Paul's saying. These guys were appointed by the church. They were sent out as God worked by his Holy Spirit, convicting hearts through his church from the beginning. Do you hear me? From the beginning of the church, it was the launching pad for ministry. It was the aircraft carrier. It It was what the church was created to do to be a mobilization sending tool to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Think far too many times we turn it into a cruise ship and we've lost the focus that, hey, we serve a sending God who is sending us out. Every week, pastor reminds us, you've come to church, now go be the church, right? That's not just a funny saying, there's some truth to that. And have a great week of worship. Let's be real. When I look at the task at hand of what God's called us to do as a church, to come alongside Cape Coral, and we need help. We're looking for a launch team of people that would go, hey, Man, for the next season, I believe God's laying on our heart to, to, man, hunker down and help out at the Cape campus. Let's help reboot and restore this gospel outpost on the Cape. You know what? You need to be called by God, not by Kevin, not by Alan, because it starts with a calling from him. And we've often said, we're looking for fat people, faithful, available, teachable, right? <laughs> I got that one locked down, but anyways... Oh, kidding aside, hey, one of the asks that we have of today is if the Holy Spirit's prompting your heart, it would be an incredible gift to our launch team. If you took that connection card and that seat back in front of you, and you just on the one side wrote Cape, and on the other side, give us your information, we would love to follow up with you. We've got an interest meeting coming up on December 3rd at 6 p.m. in the chapel, Sunday evening, where we're just going to talk about what God is doing up there. We would love for you to be praying about, hey, maybe we live on the north end of the county. Maybe we live up that you know, Maybe God's calling us to lock in. There's plenty of positions available right now up there. Trust me, okay? But it's gonna take a team. That's what I love about this, that God's putting a, a team together with Titus to go. And notice what it says here, to do this act of grace. Shouldn't the aroma of Christ be grace? where we go and what we do, should that not be the overflow of our lives? I have to be honest with you all, as I've been preaching some up at the Cape and we announced to them last weekend about your vote to bring them on, like I have got to receive so many thank yous from a remnant of people up there who can't believe that there would be a church that would come alongside them in their desperation, in their greatest hour of need and go, We're in this together. To me, it's a beautiful picture of grace. It's a beautiful picture of building his kingdom and not our kingdom. It's not about our kingdom. This isn't our church. First Baptist Cape, that's not their church. This is God's church. This is his bride. And we get to be a part of it. You see, at the end of the day, verse 19 says, hey, here's the purpose. For the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Man, that idea, for the glory of the Lord, isn't that the ultimate motivator of everything that we do? And and I like how he says this, for the Lord himself. Like, for the Lord himself. Like, I think that takes it to like a personal level. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I think it's I think we could come in here and collectively gather and collectively worship and sing amazing songs these kids led us through today. And we're like, oh, corporately, yeah, we love Jesus. Woo! No, 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 no. Like when you worship, you are worshiping the Lord Himself. You matter, your voice matters, the very hairs on your head matter to him. It's personal. I love it how he says that to the Lord Himself. And he says, to show your goodwill when your actions match your words. Pastor said this in a sermon a couple weeks ago and I was like, ooh, that's good. The road to hell is lined with good intentions. Church, may it not be said of us that we're all show and no go. If I've heard pastor say it a hundred times, he says, we don't wanna be known for our seating capacity, but for our sending capacity. Verse 20, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. We aim for what is honorable. Paul wanted to be above reproach in this. He didn't want people to think that he was out just to get their money. Paul wanted them to know, hey, what we are doing is honorable. You know, when I think about it, you know, in church world, like church planning is kind of the cool thing to do. A lot of kids coming out of seminary today, I say kids, young men, they want to go do church plants. You know what I think is a beautiful picture of God's story of redemption? Is a replant, a revitalization. You see, God has put an outpost in the Cape and yeah, they've gone through some tough years. But I think there's no greater picture of the story of God's love and redemption and second chances to see a church that's on the brink of shutting their doors come roaring back for the glory of God, for the witness to a community. Man, what an incredible story of what God can do for his glory. the end of the day, not going to be about First Naples, Alan Brumbeck, Kevin Taylor. It's going to be the Lord doing his work. I love what he promised over Matthew 16. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Man, I love the fact that the gates of hell will not prevail against what God is doing. We need to be faithful to preach and teach the word and make disciples. And we need to just sit back and watch God work. It's his church. Verse twenty two says this, and them we are sending, uh, and with them we are sending our brother. This is brother number three, okay, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of this great confidence in you. Man, I love what's said about this third brother. I mean, the second brother, I mean, I like that guy. Like he had gospel passion, right? I can I can resonate with that. But the third brother, it says this that that he was tested and found earnest and many matters. Hey, character matters. Hard work matters. But I want you to hear me on this. This guy was tested and found faithful. Listen, God wastes nothing. Do you understand that? Like When you look at the moments in your life, the things that have made you who you are today, listen, when you turn them over to God, He wastes nothing in your life. It's preparation. He is making you more like Him. And it's through those circumstances and those difficulties and those trials that God is shaping you. I've seen it so many times in ministry. Sometimes people's greatest hurts become their greatest platform to minister to others. Right here, this brother was tested. He was found earnest. And it says this more earnest than ever because of the great confidence in you. Paul's saying, hey, to this third brother, he is fired up and more diligent because of the faithfulness he's found in you all. Isn't it amazing how living out bold faith and being around people that are living out bold faith inspires you to live out bold faith? Should that not be what the church is? When we come together here and we gather as a body of believers fired up for King Jesus, man, that should inspire us to go be the church, to live it out, to invite more, to come in and taste and see that the Lord is good. Right here, man, this third brother's fired up because of their faithfulness. Man, can we have that contagious faith? Like, I think that's what the joy of the Lord, it's our strength. That's what we should be to this community. Verse 23 and 24, it says, as Paul says this, as for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ, So give proof before the churches of your love and your boasting about you for these men. My partner and fellow worker. Hey, Paul knew we're better together. We're better together when we serve together. Some people have said, Pastor, we're so sad we're losing you. I'm like, you're not losing me. I'm still one of your pastors. I'm just 34 miles up the road preaching Jesus, trying to help us get something rolling to reach people for Jesus Christ. But yeah, like personally, like I love coming in this room and worshiping with you and be led in great worship. And Alan preaches the word. Man, it jacks my heart up to go live for Christ. Like, are we going to miss that? Yes. But listen, this world is not our home. And there's coming a day that I know one day we're going to worship together for all eternity. And I pray that there's a whole lot of people that are going to join us. Like... We've got to have that eternal mindset. And sometimes I think we just settle to be comfortable. We just want our preferences. We want our ease. But hey, when you put your yes on the table, you lay that down. I don't know about you, but when I came to know Christ, it was a call to die. So that I could live for Christ. We're messengers of the church. That's what he said here of these brothers. They were sent on a mission. Hey, I got news for you. God's still launching his people on mission. He's not done. He's ascending God. As Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So where's he sending you? What is he calling you to do? I know for me right now, and I feel like in the season of our church, as we kind of bust through the wall of this, if we're going to be a 3M church, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multiplying, I feel like, hey, what God has opened up the door and handed us in Cape Coral is part of the vision of being a multiplying church. Man, I'm excited as God rewrites the story of First Baptist Cape Coral for his glory. I'm excited to see how those chapters unfold. But we're looking for people who are gonna put the shoulder to the boulder with us and watch our God move mountains. Over 200,000 people live in the Cape. It's a giant neighborhood. There's more canals in the Cape than Venice, Italy. Found that out, fun fact. All right, you can win a trivia with that one. All right, you know this, 435,000 people live within a 10 mile radius of the seven acres of First Cape Church, 435,000 people. There's 75,000 kids on the Cape. Kids ministry is a ghost town right now up there. And we got a lot of kids we need to reach for Jesus if we're gonna raise up the next generation. That gospel outpost where gospel hope is proclaimed, people are loved, discipled, and launched into ministry and mission. And hey, what an opportunity to honor God, to demonstrate to a world. I was talking, Sarah and I went up to a, a prayer meeting Wednesday night. And I think we really found the source of why God has not allowed that church to close. There's a remnant of some faithful men and women who are calling out to God to use them to reach their community for Jesus Christ. I remember seven years ago when I moved from the student pastor to the missions pastor role here I had this one prayer. I'm being honest with you. I said, God, help me knock the country club out of this church. And Lord, may this city see this church as a source of help and hope and not the country club on the corner. I was a youth pastor. I'm allowed to say things like that. All right. I gotta be careful when I say things to God because 30 days later, you know what hit us? Hurricane Irma. New missions pastor, hey, have at it, buddy. But you know what? Man, over those next couple months, as our city was hurting, you know what I saw? I just saw God work. (laughs) Missions organizations all around our campus. Man, food lines, hundreds of you guys came out every day to serve this community. I remember every morning I'd come up here at sunrise, because we didn't have any power. We'd all show up, and I'd see 40, 50, 60, 100 of you guys show up and just go, who can we go help? And you guys did over 700 relief projects over the next two months, and all of a sudden it was like God was showing me, hey, remember what you asked for a month ago? There you go, buddy. I remember the city called us up and said, we've got 350 power trucks that we don't know where to park. I'm thinking to myself, there is nothing more that brings hope to a city when you don't have power than a power truck. And I'm like, park them on the front lawn. Like, I want everybody that drives by this place to go, hey, there's a church doing everything that we can to love this city. You know what I pray years from now? The Cape will realize that there's a church where hope is, and hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. So as we close today, thanks for putting up with my... Alan gave me permission. Don't think I'm here. Just pushing this. He said, man, hands of generosity, let it rip how are you going to respond today? Number one, have you embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Like, don't miss it. You can't have hands of generosity. Your good works won't get you to heaven until you've made it right with King Jesus. Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Secondly, church, there's a lot of you that you, you've trusted him as your Savior, but you're struggling with the Lord part. You've put yeses on the table, but they're very conditional. Lord, I'll serve you as long as, as long as it's convenient, as long as it's comfortable, as long as it's close, as long as I don't have to give up much. Man, he's worth it. Put your yes on the table. You know, as your missions department, we're always saying, man, we want everybody to be engaged in praying, giving, and going Like we serve that sending God. There's nothing that I would ask more when you think of the Cape is to pray that God will work for his glory and his honor up there. We need that air support. But hey, let's not just be a church who has a fun vote one week and says, yes, we'll take on a church. And then, hey, let's be more than a vote. (laughs) Man, it's gonna take giving. Yeah, we're assuming some debt. Man, we wanna pay it off. We wanna see God do great things in the month. We're praying that God does something only he gets the glory for. And when we take this all over, we don't have to borrow a dime. That God's people comes together and we pay off their debt and we move that church forward to the glory of God. That's what we're asking. Like, he can do it. There's no doubt. I pray that God stirs some of your hearts to go, Hey, God's calling me to put the shoulder to the boulder. Maybe God's calling you. Maybe you want more information about being a part of our launch team up in the Cape. Grab that connection card in front of you. Write Cape on one side. Give us your contact information on the other. We'll send it. Show up December 3rd, 6 p.m. in the chapel. We won't make you sign blood on the dotted line yet. Like, but maybe you're, you're interested in how could we be a part of what God's doing up there. Let's pray together. Not to us, but to your name be the glory, O Lord. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be that day. They wouldn't leave this place without speaking to one of us, writing it down on a connection card so we could follow up. But God, today... Will they put their faith and trust in you? But oh Lord, I know in the hearing of this room, there's a lot of people that have trusted you. Oh, but God, they're holding on to stuff. God, I pray that we would put our yes on the table to whatever it is, God. And I pray that you would find us faithful in that next step of yes. And God, we pray that years from now, we'll look back on these moments Lord, just see how you are writing a beautiful story of redemption, of hope, of second chances because that's who you are. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.